Hello and welcome to another episode of Podcastles with me, Georgia, and my sister, Nikita. Hey everyone, how are you, Georgia? Yeah, I'm I'm good, thank you. As as good as can be at the moment, I think. How about you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm uh, excited to tell you all about the castle we've got today. You've been texting me. I have over the last couple of days. Really excited about this. My favourite line was. Uh, I think this castle was built from skeletons and that is that is good. I'm excited for this. It's got some pretty pretty juicy gossip in this one, Georgia. Well, before we get to the skeletons, mm. let's of course cover the general chronology of the castle. So, uh, what castle are we doing today? We are going to be looking at Corfe Castle, which is a, another castle in Dorset. Let's start with the fact that the castle is in a ruin. We're going to, you know, it's, it's a ruined castle. It was actually slighted after the, uh, or during the English Civil War. Okay. But the castle that we see the ruins of was uh, initially, it was started to be built under uh, William the Conqueror. It was one of the castles that began to be built uh, after the 1066 invasion. Mm. And obviously it would have originally been built out of wood. It's, it, it's a Morton Bailey castle. But it was actually one of the first to get stone walls and then William built a stone mm-hmm. hall in it. And you can actually still see the bits of the stone wall, the, the stone hall that are still there. Interesting. Yeah. But before that, even, there was also an Anglo-Saxon residence there, royal residence. And I read one book that actually said that potentially it would have been around during the time of Alfred the Great. So this is a castle with a really long, long history. Mm. So the castle itself is in a pretty tactical position, as all of William's castles were. And one of the sources that I read said Mm -hmm. the location of it is particularly good for the Normandy side. They've got all those lands in Normandy and they've got England. And because of where uh, Dorset is, and in particular where this hill is in Dorset, Corfe Castle is in particularly good defensive position is in a gap in the Purbeck Hills. Okay. And it's on a it's on a really high hill. The hill is 55 meters high and it's natural. Wow. So, yeah, so it's a really it's a really great location. No wonder they choose that spot then. Yeah, and we see it getting uh the defensive structures getting lots of money pumped into them throughout the medieval period. So, after William the Conqueror, we've got Henry the 1st who completes the stone keep in 1105 and he actually builds that keep 21 meters high and when you think it's already on a 55 meter high hill like this is something you can see for miles yeah and then actually later down the line under edward the the first when the defenses are finally completed that all gets whitewashed so in my mind when you see think medieval castle this is kind of what you see what you think Mm. it's one of the main royal castles of the middle ages like it is the quintessential English medieval castle. The Gesta Stefani, the text that we were talking about when we looked at the anarchy with Matilda, the Gesta Stefani actually calls it the most secure of all the English castles. Wow, and it's one that I've never heard of. Yeah, no, neither had I. It's also not got a lot of, like, Wars of the Roses history, which is possibly why you've not heard of it, Georgia. Why I've not heard of it, Mm. yeah. Speaking of the Gesta Stefani, I think the next thing, really... To go to anarchy. Yeah, the anarchy. So, because it's such an important castle in the medieval period for the royal family... Uh, it actually turns out for Matilda. Right. W- with a lot of big castles, the like adulterine little ones spring up nearby the big castles so that they have better siege bases. Mm. And so a castle which is apparently called the Rings was set up by Stephen to siege Corfe Castle. So this is before Matilda's even arrived in the country, by the way. This is before the anarchy anarchy 
really begins. Stephen's tried and failed to, to take the castle, and that's really the only thing we've got for Corf during it, but you can still see where the hills were of where the rings would have been. But it would have been Stephen's stronghold to take Corf Castle and, and put a bit of dent in Matilda's very legitimate, in my opinion, claim to the throne, but uh, it never works. Um, Matilda arrives um, and later on that castle disappears. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it in the Anarchy episode. There's a lot of castles that sort of, they go up during this period, but then they get pulled straight back down again. It's so yet another one that we weren't able to cover in the Anarchy episode. Well, yeah, I mean, this one this one didn't really have any any particular significance to the story. This one didn't have any significance beyond this. There was no um, really important event there. And then obviously, you know, Stephen didn't try to launch anyone's child at the walls. So if there's not a child being launched, it's just not worth telling the story. I know, that's true. (laughs) But it's so it's I mean, there's not a lot there, but he gave it a go. And then we don't really hear anything particularly noteworthy of Corfe Castle until King John. Oh, dear. There's always a good story that goes alongside King John. Because he's horrible. He's not a nice man. I'm not sure any of them were really nice people by today's standards, you know. There's a lot of there's a lot of stabby stabby going on. <laughs> Just to um put it in like perspective, so the anarchy is in the eleven uh, forties, fifties, and this is now eleven ninety-nine to twelve sixteen. Right. So John John puts more money into Corfe Castle to build it. It's actually one of his favourite castles, if not his actual favourite castle. Right. So over his reign, he spends £1,400. Specifically, one of this is for the Gloriette, for which he spent £275. Okay. So the Gloriette is a, is a domestic palace. He builds this between 1201 and 1205, and we've got a pretty good idea of this because of it's in the rolls for the Exchequer. It's a small-scale early gothic secular building they actually believe that it was built by the masons connected to the ones who did the gothic work at glastonbury abbey so you know these are some really significant masonry works going on glastonbury abbey's huge at the time it's one of the biggest things that that gets built so you know it's an amazing amazing building they've obviously put a lot of thought into it if they've got such amazing masonry works going on and john's reign is actually uh, he spends a lot more on castles than any other king has really done before. Yeah. I think we've talked about that before. It's a, it's a unusual. I wouldn't have expected that of John. Although I do always imagine he's quite vain, but I think that's possibly just from, can't believe we're going to mention it again, Disney's Robin Hood. <laughs> Robin Hood and a little drone running through the forest. That's, is that a different movie? I, I don't, don't even know. know. I only, I mean, he's not such a, a whingy, a whingy little pathetic puny fox not fox he's a lion and that isn't he he's not one of those in in real life he's actually quite violent and we'll get onto that georgia in the okay. skeletons because a lot of the skeletons were from john he spends a, a lot of money on these castles and the gloriette itself shows a bit of a move from royal residences from from like the keep to the to the new palace and it would have been a lot quieter in in the palace rather than in the keep where all the administrative work was going on. Mm. So Corf Castle, it's fair to say that Corf Castle is a pretty important administrative location and it would have been really busy. Right. So this is this is like an added thing that they can they can have as a quieter place. Um it's it's not not just for the county either, Georgia, it's like the countrywide 
Wow, okay. It's countrywide administrative location. And then after John finally pops it, his son comes along and he he then blows his father out of the water and spends £10,000 on it. Wow. In the defences and everything. Do we have a modern day stat for that? We do. Do you want to guess how much £10,000 was in a roughly 1220? Oh, it's got to be a couple of million. <laughs> yeah, a couple. Just a couple. Just a couple. It's sixteen million. Wow. Eight hundred and fifty-six thousand nine hundred and fifty-six pounds and three pence. That is yeah. That is huge. So now, Georgia, we're gonna fast forward a little bit to one of your favourite periods in history. Oh, I think we know. We're going to the Tudors. Oh, I thought you were going to say the Wars of the Roses, but yes, I also love the Tudors. No, so actually very little happened there in the Wars of the Roses. So we're actually going to the Elizabethan period. That is my favourite of the Tudor periods. So Sir Christopher Hatton was actually the first non-royal really? to own the castle. He bought it in 1572 from Elizabeth. Okay. I don't know if you know anything about Christopher Hatton, Georgia. You know what? I think I do, but I am terrible with names. So I feel mm-hmm. like I possibly have come across him quite a bit. But in case he's not who I think, why don't I stum and you just tell me? So Sir Christopher Hatton was a favourite of Elizabeth I. He was originally from uh, Northamptonshire. At least his parents were from Northamptonshire. And he uh, started to rise, partly because he was... Ma- well, let's be honest almost entirely because he's a favourite of Elizabeth, he actually becomes Lord Chancellor. He's also a pal of Sir Francis Drake. Yes, 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 yes. He is the person I thought he was then. Okay, he got quite wealthy off of Drake. Um, I think he also spent quite a lot of money. So apparently, uh, Sir Francis Drake's ship, the Golden Hind, Mm -hmm. was named after Hatton. Really? That doesn't sound remotely like Hatton. It's his first name... Golden Hind. No, it turns out that there's something on his coat of arms that that is that is Golden Hind. Right. So he's also the admiral. Why? Right, that's interesting. His position is admiral of the Perfect Fleet, and his license to capture enemy ships is basically a bit of Elizabeth's. Um, oh, it's okay to be a bit of a pirate policy, mm. which is basically what Francis Drake was, right? Francis Drake and Walter Riley, they are kind of on some levels. They're like noble, noble pirates, gentlemen pirates. I guess, in a, in a way. Pirates of the Nobility doesn't sound quite as good as Pirates of the Caribbean. No. Least of all, because Pirates, Pirates of the Nobility doesn't sound like a place. <laughs> no, but it could be quite an interesting spin-off show. Well, they are nobles. <laughs> Isn't Kira Knightley a, a noble woman in that? Yeah, she is. Kind of, is she? I don't know. I don't know. She's definitely, like, high-born. But also fantastic films. You love that film, do you? love those. So, I mean, in other news for, for Christopher Hatton, just to put him in context for how important he is, he's actually one of the people who finds Mary, Queen of Scots, guilty after the Babington plot. Yeah. So the Babington plot was uh, just another uh, Catholic plot to assassinate Elizabeth I and get Mary, Queen of Scots on the throne. And it's actually the one that they managed to tie Mary, the Queen of Scots, involvement to. Yeah. Whether or not that was actually legit or whether it was somewhat fabricated... <sighs> Is, yeah. is another fa- is another question. If it is true that that was kind of fabricated to get rid of her, and if it is true that Elizabeth didn't necessarily want Mary, air quotes, taken care of, because it's all sort of very ambiguous. She she sends a note to agree to her death, but then takes it back. Maybe she felt like she had to force it because sort of Cecil and the, her top guys in the Privy Council were presenting her with information that 
you kind of can't ignore. But if they fabricated that information without her knowing in order to convince her to sign that death warrant. Yeah. That's kind of the end of our our Tudor foray. We then have to skip forward from the 1500s all the way up to uh, 1635 when the castle is purchased by uh, Sir John Banks and his wife, Mary Banks. Okay. Obviously, when we talk about the 30s, the 1630s, we're, we're looking at the... We're looking right at the the dawn of the English Civil War. So they're royalists. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mary Banks is actually the most interesting person here, Georgia. Okay. She's really interesting. In fact, there's a really good book about the women of the English Civil War, which I will link to as well because I got some of this from that. And apparently Sir John Banks goes to fight the, the war. He's elsewhere. And he he leaves his wife and children and servants at home. Okay. And in 1643, the sieges start on Corfe Castle because obviously it's such a stronghold. Yes. And there's barely anybody there to fight. It's literally Mary, children and servants. So this is uh, one of those occasions where mm. you actually get to see someone who we don't really talk about in, in historical books when we talk about the English Civil War. Yeah. We can see her doing something amazing and she she holds out against the sieges right there are two sieges and she she beats him in the first one and actually they surrender on the 27th of february in 1646 okay but they're only beaten because one of her officers brings a bunch of parliamentarians in the side door and they turn their coats inside out so that they look like royalists rather than parliamentarians what is it with fancy dress in this period why is everyone just having little like dress up parties do they not have a better strategy i might start trying that i mean there's nowhere to get into is there because everything's shut but yeah you know this seems to be working for them but it also says quite a lot about corf castle that they have to be let in to win yeah and so her and her daughters and her her maids they're heaving stones and hot embers o- across the top of the castle over down to the to the parliamentarians to keep them at bay. Wow. And it, it really works. I read somewhere that she actually got to keep the keys to the castle. They that she had to give the castle up, but they let her keep the keys. What's the point in having the keys if you're not allowed in? Well, it's like a it's like a um It's a symbolic it's thing. A symbolic. Yeah. Castle's destroyed, but there obviously there's a lot of respect for Mary Banks. Right. She becomes like a huge deal in the Royalist movement. That's really interesting. But the castle gets castle gets slighted. They they blow it up. Which is why when you go to Corfe Castle today, there's not a lot there. Mm. Or at least there's not a whole castle. Of course, because it was after the Civil War that they got rid of it, yeah. Yeah, so because they'd taken it, they had they they felt they had to get rid of it, and uh, which is a shame because I'd have loved to see the uh, John's John's palace that he built because mm. apparently it was beautiful. Then Georgia, that really brings us actually to the end of end of the chronology because in uh, 1982, Ralph Banks gives the the castle to the National Trust. Oh, you know what's left of it. What's left of it? It's like, here, you're going to have it now because it's uh, falling apart. I can't bother to deal with it. No, well, he actually gives quite a lot of things to the National Trust and I think he becomes quite a huge donor because it's, it's you know, giving a castle to the National Trust is a pretty big deal, I would imagine. Yeah. I don't have a castle to give them. Um, so, wish I did. Yeah, it would be nice. But, yeah. Awesome. Quite a good history of this castle. It's got quite a good past. But I think, Georgia, from the look on your face... I think what you really want are the ghosts and skeletons. I do indeed. You've been making me wait for like a good week now. I really want to hear them. Oh, yes. It's going to be good. So we're actually not going to start with Corfe Castle. What? 
we're going to start with the building that was there before it was Corfe Castle. Okay. We're going to go Anglo-Saxon on this. All right. So we're looking around the 970s period, the 978 kind of time. Mm. And in 978, the Anglo-Saxon king is Edward. Yeah. His father was King Edward, the peaceful, and his half-brother is Ethelred, the unready. Not to be confused with Ethelfled. No. Well, Ethelfled... They all sound very similar names. Ethelfled is actually the name of Edward's mother. <laughs> so Edward is the eldest son of King Edgar and his wife Ethelfled. Ethelfled's his first wife. Right. Ethelfled dies. And then eventually his father remarries a woman called Elthrith, who has Ethelred. <laughs> okay. So harking back to the, the anarchy with the similarities of names. Mm. But Edward is 13 years old when his father dies, and Ethelred at this point is six. Okay. And there's a lot of arguments and there's a lot of factionalization about who should be king, and there's a lot of, you know, using the age of the of the boys right. as a bit of a pawn, which, which boy will be king. And Edward comes out on top because he's the, the first son, but he's also the eldest. I think they'd rather be ruled by a 13-year-old and a 6-year-old. I mean, it does seem slightly better. Yeah, but teenagers. I was about to say that, though. You know, he might be a bit too obsessed with his Xbox. Yeah, or the the medieval equivalent. So, Edward, like we would say Ethelred the Unready, who's his half-brother, who obviously becomes king, spoiler alert, Edward is actually called Edward the Martyr. I wonder what happened. Edward is murdered at the gates (gasps) of Corfe Castle. So... Okay. I'm going to recount it from the Anglo-Saxon Chronicles now, and then I'm going to fill it in a little bit with what we what we also know outside okay. of it, because true to Chronicle style, it's it says it has a lot of words and actually says very little. Right. Yeah. So this year was King Edward slain at Eventide at Corfgate on the fifteenth day before the Calends of April, and he was buried at Wareham without any royal honour. No worse deed than this was ever done by the English nation since they first sought the land of Britain. Men murdered him, but God magnified him. He was in life an earthly king. He is now after death a heavenly saint. Mm. And I'd just like to say that by um, on the 15th day before the Calends of April, what they mean is the 18th of March. Yeah. Because I just, I've always really struggled with those dates and I just think, you know, why not just say the 18th of March? But basically, Edward goes to visit his stepmother. And half-brother at Corfe Castle, where, where they live. And he gets to the gate and he isn't being let in in the way you'd normally get. So he's waiting at the gate mm-hmm. and sort of being given some drinks. And Don't tell me he dresses up. Maybe if he'd have dressed up, he'd have got in. But he's he's on his horse. He gets stabbed on his horse at the gate. Oh, no. Gets Yeah, stabbed quite badly. The horse then gets scared. Oh, no. As Edward dies and bolts, like runs off. That is not good. The horse runs off and Edward's body is being dragged behind it, which is a pretty gruesome way to die. But he, he so he gets buried quite quickly and quietly. But then he gets reinterred at Shaftesbury Abbey later on. And when they dig him back up, apparently his boat, his body hasn't really decayed, which is one of the signs of sainthood in Catholicism. Right. So that's why he's the martyr, because he gets he, he gets a sainthood. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so then he gets to sainthood and then there's like a whole a whole sort of cult of Edward the Martyr that comes up around him. Mm. But yeah, there's there's blood at blood at the gate. That is a proper skeleton as well. It is an actual well well, is it a skeleton? Because apparently it didn't really decay. So the skeleton's still there. It's, it's true. It's true. So in terms of who did it, 
there's a lot of people who think it's the stepmom because if the stepmom mm. kills him, her son gets the throne, which which happens. Right. Uh, there's also another guy called Elphir who was involved in. There's a there's a big anti monastic movement going on during Edward's reign, and he was he was big in that. And so some people think that he killed him instead. But who knows? It's a mystery. Ooh. Then we're going to move on okay. to Edward the Second. Okay. So this isn't so much as ghost of skeletons as as more of like a a rumor, like a flicker of something. So. There's a rumour that Edward II is being held at Corfe Castle. Right. After he's died. Yeah. So Edward Edward II is deposed by Isabella of France, who's his wife, and Roger Mortimer, her lover, in 1326. Um, they want to put Isabella and, and Edward II's son, Ed, who becomes Edward III, on the throne, which is what they do. Yeah. And then they, they lock Edward II away after he's abdicated. Yeah. <laughs> And he, supposedly he dies of natural causes mm. in September of 1327. And no one can see me doing the air quotes, but I feel like my voice is saying natural causes. No one knows, but obviously I would I would imagine he's been bumped off. Right. And so there's, there becomes a conspiracy from the Earl of Kent, who is Edward II's half-brother, um, saying that actually he's not died, he's at Corfe Castle. Which I suppose is like saying... Elvis Presley's still alive and living underneath Graceland. Was that a rumour? Yeah. Yeah, there's like a thing. Oh, I didn't hear that. I've, I've heard it somewhere. That's amazing. It doesn't work out. And the Earl of Kent gets executed. But he has like a decent number of people that actually support him in this and think think the same. So I thought that was an interesting an interesting bit of scandal to raise that they actually think he's being kept at Corfe Castle. Mm. Yeah, and also that shows that the Corfe Castle is pretty important if they think that that would be used for something like that. Yeah, it's huge. And obviously during this period, it's a royal residence. It's, like, it's really important. So yeah, yeah. then, Georgia, mm. we're getting on to my least favourite monarch. John. John. Back he comes. A king so bad, we've only had one named John. Yeah, no one ever wants to call their son John. We have a lot of Harrys and Edwards. and. So after a, a botched campaign by John's nephew, Arthur, who's the, the son of John's brother, Geoffrey, who's the fourth son of their father, mm. uh, he, he executes Arthur and imprisons Eleanor, who's Arthur's sister, so he imprisons his niece and about 25 knights. Actually, Corfe Castle holds a lot of his political enemies at some point or another. Really? Yeah, so it's it's a big... In the little jail. Well, I mean, it sounds reasonable, really, that he imprisons someone who's rising up against him. Not great about the, the execution, but then there's also... People do get executed for uprisings during this period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, this is... We're also looking at a time that's really chivalric. Yeah. And so it sort of dictates that noble prisoners get kept well yeah we talked about it with warwick castle you know there was the oubliette but then a lot of more high-born prisoners during the civil war they were kept in apartments well speaking of the oubliette georgia oh because this is where one of the some of the ghosts come from okay he uh oh he looks after eleanor he actually treats eleanor really nicely okay or relatively nicely i guess and um, but he puts the knights in the oubliette at corfe castle and most of them starve to death. Not great. Which isn't nice. He also kept his wife prisoner there. Why? I actually didn't get why. They probably just had a little argument and he was like, right, then. He didn't put the wife in the oubliette. I'd just like to put that out there. I know. I but he actually, <laughs> he did starve to death two very noble people. He starved to death the wife of a big nobleman who 
who was actually a really renowned noblewoman herself and her eldest son at Corfe Castle. Gosh, slow, all the skeletons are stacking up. Yeah, there's there's a lot of bodies and, and a lot of them are from John. Mm. So, I mean, the Magna Carta is actually one of the ways that they tried to... It's, it's really, the Magna Carta is about trying to make John accountable so that they can't have this kind of power, right? So... Yeah, yeah. And after the Magna Carta, John sulks at Corfe more. He's at Corfe more often. He obviously dies and then his son comes in, but uh, poor Eleanor, who is the Duchess of Brittany, mm. uh, she doesn't get released until 1222 okay. under Henry III. So poor Eleanor. So they are the ghosts and skeletons of, of Corfe Castle, Georgia. Wow, that was a good one. Well done. There's, there's not a lot of small... Like, there's not a lot of, like, little things that are going on, but I feel like they're three pretty huge. But when they happen, they happen, yeah. They're huge, yeah. Wow, okay. So that that really comes to, I guess, we should probably talk about the influence of the castle and what, what your thoughts are on the stuff that I've told you. Yeah, it's probably time to get on to influence. I mean, Edward being murdered at Corfe Castle, that's got to be... Well, we wouldn't have had Ethelred the Unready if Edward hadn't been murdered at Corfe Castle. That's regicide. Yes, and that's going to massively change the shape of the line. If Edward had lived long enough to have any kids, and he wouldn't have been next in line. Wow. Okay, that's obviously massive. Yeah. yeah. Of course, then we got William anyway. So. But maybe, maybe the descendants of Edward would have been able to defend against the, William the Conqueror. Maybe we wouldn't have had Harold. But I also think, like the the location of the castle, and the fact that it's used for administrative purposes throughout the country, the fact that it gets so much defensive money put into it, the fact that John spends so much time there. You've got the fact that everybody sinks so much money into it. You've got, you know, I mean, Middle Ages wise, for the medieval period, this is one of the castles. Yeah. This is not only one of the most important royal residences. If it's a main royal residency, mm. we normally throw those right to the top of the list, like alongside Windsor, really. But it's it's not even the just the important people that, that lived there. It's... The castle is important in its own yeah. right. It withstands all the sieges, bar the one where they walk in the back door. Can't help it. Fancy dress is the most effective. If they got dressed up, then there's really nothing the castle could have done. It wasn't even like a proper dress up. They turned their jackets inside out. Excellent. That's poor. That's when you didn't. That's when you turned up to the party and you didn't realise it was fancy dress, and you were like, "Quick, what can we do?" Yeah. Well, I think we're gonna have to say this is one of the key. Yeah. I'd say, would you say this is more important than Kenilworth or Warwick? Yeah, because it's not nobility. It's royalty, you know? Mm. And even when it's not owned by the royalty, they managed to... I mean, Mary Banks is a really cool woman for defending the castle like that. Yeah. With, with so few people. Yeah. I mean, is there much to discuss? Apparently not. I think we've we've really gone for it. I think we've we've just agreed. Pretty decided, aren't we? Yeah. If you disagree with us... Or if you've got something to add to this discussion, do get in touch. You can always contact us. We are podcastlespodcast at gmail.com or podcastles on the various social medias. We would love to hear from you. Yeah, we would. And all of our sources for this episode will be in our blog on the website. Yeah, podcastles.co.uk. Yeah. And that'll then take us on to next week where we're going to be looking at a couple more uh, Dorset Castles, Georgia. Mm. And we'll have to, at the end of that, I think we should really compare what all of the, the big castles have been like in, in the county. I don't think Corfe Castle 
really can compare to the ones the week before because I think Corf Castle blows these ones out of the water. Yeah, no, I think Corf blazed out of the water, absolutely. I mean, they were both great, but none of them have the same history as this. I can't believe we hadn't really heard about it before. Me neither. I can't believe that. How can you uh, visit Corf Castle when things open back up? Well, it's a National Trust site. Right. So if you head over to the National Trust website, you'll be able to get all the details and they'll be able to update you as and when we're allowed to allowed to go there again. Yeah. I think they've got a pretty good tour of especially the, the stuff to do with Mary Banks. Interesting. Okay. And of course, if you liked this episode, please do give us a little rate, review and subscribe. It really helps us out. And yeah, leave a comment. Let us know what you thought. And we will be back next week with the selection box of Dorset. Yeah. Looking forward to it, Georgia. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.